0: Hey everybody, welcome to this week's roundup. No special announcements, so let's jump right in. First up, developer CoSam has just released the open source files for a reverse engineered PC Engine motherboard. Now, this isn't something COSAM is going to be selling. This isn't a product that you could just buy, but I think this is really important. And I think this is such a cool hardware preservation effort that could lead to some pretty awesome things. First of all, if you wanted to build one of these things, you could just have the motherboard made. And then if you have a damaged PC Engine motherboard, you could swap over all the proprietary components and then populate the rest of the stuff with. Off-the-shelf components, brand new resistors, capacitors, etc. And that alone is pretty awesome, but it's kind of my job and has always been my job to see where projects can go, not just where they are today. So I'm not, you know, there's nothing negative about this. I know a lot of devs interpret my uh you know, my vi- visioning of this stuff is like, oh, you're not happy with what you got. It's not that. But think about this. Now, now that this design is out there, what if somebody like Zaxor would take this and integrate his latest board that's RGB, S-Video and composite plus stereo audio routed through the Turbo Everdrive Pro. What if you route that directly into this? So now you have a drop-in replacement PC engine motherboard uh, that all you, would have, all you would have to do in quotes is swap over the chips And what if you could find newer connectors for the rear, newer hue card slots with a newer way to affix those? Because that alone is just... Maddening. Has anybody ever tried to replace that IDE uh, ribbon cable thing that connects the top and bottom boards? What about a new solution that has like a just a standard ribbon flex cable, like the modern stuff that we've been using? Imagine clipping that in place instead of having those pins to deal with. So there's a lot that this could lead to that is just amazing that could really change the game for people looking to refresh their PC engine or restore broken ones. And then what if there was a drop in? replacement for the Express units, just like Mateus did for the Game Gear. Now, instead of opening up and trying to recap a motherboard that could very well be destroyed anyway, you pull the proprietary chips out and, you know, slap a new LCD screen, in, and there you go. Now you have a completely revived console, and you don't have that rotting, fishy-smelling PCV that, that you needed to restore. And for beginners, you know, this is all not for the faint of heart. This is something that you would want to buy pre-done but for experts for all the expert modders out there how much time do you spend cleaning off all of that leaky capacitor fluid and all that fish smelling gunk and doing that cap replacement How much more time would it it cost you or, you know, would it cost your customers and would you have to spend to remove just the proprietary stuff and slap it on a new board? So at the end of the day, this might not be that big of a difference for both modders and customers. The price might not be massively different. Um, You know, and of course, these things could be made with all of the stuff all of the non-proprietary stuff pre-populated. So this is exciting. It's really exciting to see where this could, could go. And I really hope that I've planted the idea in a few people's heads. But just because my fellow nerds are very passionate, I just wanted to remind CoSam one more time, thank you so much for your work. I'm not trying to say you did you did anything wrong or you should have done anything different. I think you did it perfect. Reverse engineer the original and then leave it up to the people to decide what they want to do with it. So that was very cool. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes next with this. Here's kind of a lighthearted and fun one. 8-Bit Mods just opened pre-orders on a case for your Nintendo Switch cartridges that's made to look like a Blockbuster Video VHS tape in case. And this is fully licensed as well, so it's not like 8-Bit Mods is just stealing the Blockbuster logo and trying to profit off of that. It is all fully licensed, but basically it looks exactly like the, a tape that you would have rented from Blockbuster in the 90s. You open it up, and then inside the VHS tape that's in there is actually a Switch cartridge case, and it could support 12 Switch games and four memory cards, and it's only about 20 bucks. It'll ship uh, mid-November, so this is one of those things that, you know, of course you don't need it, but it's cheap, it's licensed, and, you know, so you're not stealing Blockbuster IP, not that that matters, but just saying, you know, it's always nice to know things are done the right way, and it's a lot of fun. And this is really the type of nostalgia that I enjoy. You know, it, taking your game cartridges, plugging them into the console, that's that's neat and all, but when it comes to gaming, I really just want to play the games in, you know, the least glitchy way possible. But when it comes to stuff like this, stuff on your shelf, stuff to look at, I think this is absolutely awesome and a perfect, perfect blast of nostalgia. The only downside is make sure that you, uh, whoever is in your house knows that this is actually a case for your Switch games. You don't want somebody to go on a, a cleaning rampage and go, oh, why do we still have a blockbuster tape you never returned from the 90s and toss 12 of your games in the garbage? But yeah, this one was a lot of fun, and uh, I think I'm probably going to pick one of these up just for the heck of it. But links are in the description if you're interested. The YouTube channel Little Car just posted a video titled Why SCART Was So Smart, and it was a really good video that shows the history of the SCART connector and all of the things that it could do, a lot of which I didn't even know. I didn't realize there was a control protocol built into that as well, and this is definitely something that I think anybody who's in retro should watch, because it explains so much of why this connector is the way it is. And especially the audio ins and outs part, like, this is all really cool and interesting, and really put it into more perspective for me. I did the opposite a couple years ago. I did a a write up and then a a rant on the weekly podcast about why SCART doesn't suck. Because there are some things about it that annoy people, especially people just getting into this. Like with component video, you plug the cables in. With SCART, you have to know what sync is. Why the hell do you need to know what sync is? And there's a, a crazy long list of reasons why SCART is annoying. However, I really do think it is awesome, especially in context of what it was. And that's what this video does a great job highlighting. And I'm still using it for my consoles anyway. I have a mix. The wall behind me is all component. And then everything else I do is RGB. So I have a healthy mix of both. But if you're even remotely curious about this stuff, even if you've sworn off SCART forever and you're going only component video, I would still watch the video. It's pretty interesting. And uh, shout out to Matt from Video Game Perfection for passing this along. I totally miss this one. Some pretty fun news for a video game preservationist and fans of the Casio Loopy. The very final game in the library has finally been dumped. So almost 30 years after the console's initial release, we finally have dumps of every single complete game and that have been verified. So there's a complete ROM set available. And uh, Danielle did a great post with a short little blast of history, some um, pictures and uh, kind of some explanation behind it. So if you're interested, definitely check out the post. And for me personally, um, you know, I'm not so interested in the Cassio Loopy library, but I do love that people are taking the time to preserve this stuff and to do it the right way, not to... Uh, threatened to preserve it if I, you know, to not preserve it unless I get a million dollars for the game on eBay. Like, this was all done right, this was done by fans of the console, fans of video game history, and I just thought this was a positive one. Uh, I'm really glad that uh, now we could experience the magic of the Casio Loopy (laughs) through ROMs. Uh, I mean, look, I'm not throwing shade, I like the CDI and the Atari Jaguar, so if you're a Loopy fan by all means, but uh, I just, it's awesome that it was at least finally a full library's out there, so you can check all the software out if you want to. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted a video about a kit that allows you to consolize your Nintendo Switch. Now, yes, I know you could just plug it into a dock and you could accomplish the same thing, but this kit is designed really for two scenarios. One, your screen has died and you just want to use it in consoleized mode, or maybe you never use it in handheld mode and maybe you'd want to take advantage of running it overclocked with cooler temperatures because it's in a bigger case with a bigger fan. And that's the thing that I'm personally the most interested in because uh, while the current kit that's released is only working with the OLED switch, the developer set is working on other kits for the different models. And I would love to take my launch edition switch, which is still running fine, but I would love to finally mod it so that I could overclock it and play the games that I have already paid for in a higher frame rate. And I never use my switch in handheld mode. It's just a preference. I, you know, I like tiny phones and giant TVs and I'd rather play my games on that giant TV. But the thought of having a case with a, you know, nice big old Noctua fan and, Potentially, even a bigger heat sink on there. I think that would be very cool because that could potentially allow you to run your switch fully overclocked and not worry so much about heat. There's obviously other things that might go wrong if you overclock it and run it too long, but at least now you probably wouldn't have to worry about heat in that scenario. So I'm definitely excited to see where this project progresses. Um, Tito in the video showed that there's definitely a heat difference when you're using this kit versus just the normal Switch. So it's certainly something that even if you like playing your Switch in handheld mode, but you're kind of curious, definitely check out Tito's video anyway. Uh, If you want to buy one of these, you could pick it right up from sets. Uh, Etsy store. But once again, it's only the OLED model and the OLED model looks really nice. So maybe pick one with a broken or cracked screen or something like that if you're going to do it to one of those. But I'm really interested to see where we go with this because I just think there's a lot of people like myself that would only use it in docked mode anyway that could probably do something like this and get some advantages over it. The only question I have is I could swear there was a couple of scenarios I've run into, whether it was firmware updates or whatever else, that I had to use the switch in handheld mode in order to complete it. So what about those scenarios? Are there workarounds to that? Uh, Is there a way to tap the video output from the handheld screen in a zero lag kind of way? So maybe you just use it in 720p mode all the time or something like that? I I don't really know what the answer is. I'm going to let smarter people in the field answer that one. But I did at least want to put the questions out there. Uh, Maybe if if you're listening and you're already an expert in this, you could post in the comments for us and I'll make sure to pin it for everybody. But Either way, I thought this was awesome, and I definitely recommend watching the video. A fan made PC port of the N64 game Perfect Dark was just uploaded to GitHub, and this was made available based on the team who had completely decompiled the original game late last year. So, this essentially is looking to be just like Mario 64 and a lot of the other N64 games that had been decompiled and now essentially the source code rewritten from scratch, which is a legal white room reverse engineering of the game. So, something like this, while it's still kind of a gray area, uh, it's not like it's using stolen code or anything so this is kind of an interesting thing because now you could have hd versions of the game and um, while there is a demo that you could play it's not quite ready yet but donald just wanted to update everybody on it and let us all know that this thing's in progress and it's looking very cool and i'm always just so impressed when i see projects like this it's so far out of my realm of uh, capabilities and it's very cool to see a bunch of fans of the game's do stuff like this, because it's not just about getting an HD port. You know, now you learn how the game worked and people who go to make games in the future now have uh, something to look at to think, oh, why did this always glitch out? And, you know, there's a lot of learning that comes from stuff like this. It's not just about getting an HD port, but that's pretty awesome as well. So we'll keep you posted when there's a completed release or anything like that. But more info uh, is all in Donald's post. Just check that out if you're interested. I just posted an interview with Seth, aka Doppley, who is the person that did the PC ports of those notorious Zelda CDI games. Now, that's actually not the reason I wanted to talk to Seth, but that's of course something we had to address because clearly the compactist interactive multimedia system is the greatest console ever made, and we had to talk about that a bit in the video. But what I really wanted to talk to Seth about was his upcoming game, Arzette, the Jewel of Faramore, which is essentially a spiritual successor to those games. So basically, what if those games weren't terrible? And I really think that's an interesting concept and the game's going to be available on all platforms, you know, all the major consoles and steam and stuff like that. So I kind of wanted to talk to Seth before the game got out there just to give everybody a teaser and, and hear directly from him, and then maybe when the game's released, I could do a live stream with him. We could just kind of hang out and play, which is always nerve-wracking, by the way. I don't normally get nervous, especially not in live streams and stuff like that, but when I was doing the stream with Nicole, playing her game with her watching, I got oddly nervous, so I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll uh, I'll try it and just make a complete ass of myself, but um, the game is nearing completion, so uh, there will be both digital and physical versions available when it's done we talked about all of this stuff so if you just want to hear from a good person and a you know a cool game developer this is definitely a fun chat uh, and of course if you're one of the seven people that's as big of a fan as the cdi as we are you, it's a must listen stone age gamer just listed stock of almost all of the humble bazooka bluetooth adapters for consoles Now, these things sell out very quickly, so I'm not sure which ones are going to be available by the time you hear this. I'll get back to that in a second. But the adapters that were released were the Neo Geo, Atari Jaguar, PC Engine, TurboGrafx-16, and 3DO. And the Neo Geo one should be compatible with AES, Neo Geo CD, any MVS that has the controller ports right on the board, or uh, any super gun that uses Neo Geo style pinouts, which should be pretty straightforward for at least the first four buttons. So this, uh, the Neo Geo one should be uh, compatible with quite a lot of different things. These are all based off of Darth Cloud's open source Blue Retro platform, which means as long as you pair it with a low latency controller, you can get as low as six milliseconds of latency on there. The DualSense PlayStation controller is one of those very fast ones. And the 8BitDo Neo Geo CD controller also performed pretty well. And Humble Bazooka posted a little picture and a a short little guide on how to pair that with the Neo Geo Bluetooth adapter. I guess really all of them. But uh, I guess it's not hard to do, but it's not intuitive. So a lot of people were kind of confused on how to get that done. But I think that's awesome. You pick up a brand new controller from 8BitDo, Bit you pick up one of these, and now you have a wireless Bluetooth controller that still kind of feels like a Neo Geo controller for your AES. I think that's pretty awesome. Now, I believe at least one of these is already out of stock. I think it was actually the Neo Geo one. But I just want to let everybody know, this is Humble Bazooka is trying to make as many as possible for each of these batches. This is not some FOMO scenario where if you know you need to build 50, you build 47 just to get enough people pissed off so you get you know, enough traction for the next batch. That's not what's going on here. Humble Bazooka is just making as many as they can, getting the Stone Age Gamer, and the demand is just really high. And on a personal note, I know what it's like to be in this situation and it is terrifying because what do you do now? You've already sold out a second batch pretty much instantly. So do you go and get some injection molding done and do a run of, you know, whatever the minimum order for a full PCB plus assembly would be at a bigger shop? Do you drop that ton of cash and hoping that now you have a product that could regularly be in stock and sell? Or do you do that just to find out that, uh, that slime ball who clones everybody just cloned it and is selling a low quality junkie version that you know doesn't even fit in the controller port right but people are buying that instead or do you make that investment just to find out that almost everybody who wanted one of these already has it so now they're going to trickle out not sell out right away it's scary it's a scary place to be so I, I do hope that stock of the ones that sell out quicker are able to somehow be made more in bulk um but you know, I think all the bazookas doing their best, and I just I don't have any shade to throw because I I know I've been on both sides. You know, I've heard oh yeah something's uh, you know something's in stock. I just saw that fat guy from retro RGB post on social media about it. I'll order it when I get home and then I get home and it's out of stock. And it's like, what the hell, you know? And I've also been in the manufacturing side where you're the one that has to make these decisions and decide if, you know, if you make the wrong move, you lose your business. So uh, yeah, it's not a good place to be in. And you you would think it was a happy, you would think it would be more exciting, but it's a very, very odd place to be. So hopefully they'll find a happy medium for everything. I do think all of these are really awesome. And I do think, especially for controllers that, in my opinion, are either very expensive or or maybe not the best to begin with, like the Jaguar one. (laughs) Some of the 3DO controllers were terrible. Most of them looked the same, but they definitely have different feels to them. I'm not sure if that's just one's more worn out than the other. But I think it's not just the wireless capabilities. It's being able to use different controllers really makes these things very, very... um, you know, it makes up, makes these that you would want it for many reasons, not just for wireless. And the fact that it's, you know, very low latency is another good thing. So hopefully they'll be back in soon. Sorry to ramble for a little bit, but I always just like to be annoyingly transparent when it comes to stuff like this. You know, some companies base their entire sales off of FOMO and other companies are really just trying their best and people get pissed. And I, I always try to stand up and defend those companies because it sucks to be in that position. And speaking of FOMO marketing, Highly Limited Analog is back at it again. This Friday, they're going to be releasing highly limited editions of their analog pocket handheld console that are all in different color transparent cases. There's going to be just clear, smoke, blue, green, orange, purple, and red. And uh, the price is still up 250 the same as last time, and they should ship within two weeks. So I have a few things to say about this. First and foremost they look awesome. I mean, nobody could say that they don't look awesome. If I played on handhelds, I personally would want the clear one, but that's color is just a matter of opinion. So whichever one floats your boat, go for it. but it looks really cool. Um, I'm happy that they updated their their marketing to say ship within two weeks because last time it said we'll ship the following week. The following week, a bunch of people got tracking numbers, but the boxes were never dropped off. So days went by and people thought, is my package lost? Is this some kind of shipping scam? And they're not going to ship until 2024. And then of course, you know, a few days later, the tracking numbers populated and everybody was cool with it. But it's, you know, in a time where a lot of stuff ends up getting delayed with no word of the delays, I'm sure there was an annoying couple of days for people that were like, what the hell? I dropped cash in this thing because I wanted to get it, you know, within a week. So they just updated their marketing to say, should ship within two weeks so i would imagine the same thing is going to happen you'll probably get your tracking number if you buy this this friday you get the tracking number monday or tuesday and then you see it actually ship out the following week i think that's totally fine i'm still not the biggest fan of their premium shipping if you're paying for premium you should probably get it out the door a little quicker but you know i get it um they did all arrive to people and those that last one what was it the glow in the dark one people said it was very cool but i think these look better Just an opinion. If you bought the -the glow-in-the-dark one, those are still awesome, but these look really, really cool. Um, I also just have to say I still think these things are are worth every penny if you're into handhelds, Uh, and I think that you get a lot for your money. I think that, uh, you know, you got to buy some accessories if you want to use original cartridges, but with OpenFPGA on there and with the ability to at least play the Nintendo library of handheld games, they perform really well, and I'm a fan of them. I just, you know, once again, I like playing on a big TV. I'm not really a handheld fan. But if I did, I think this would be my go-to. So uh, while their highly limited marketing still cracks me up, um, you know, credit where credit's due. It's an awesome product. And I am a little disappointed though, because last time I talked about their highly limited promotion, I was wondering what they would do next. And I didn't think they would just repeat the same thing. So maybe their uh, marketing ideas are becoming highly limited. Four-layer technologies have just released a kit that allow you to convert a Super Nintendo or Super Famicom controller to a GameCube controller. And this is awesome for many reasons, and there's actually quite a few things to talk about. First and foremost, this is a no-cut mod. You can completely reverse it if you want to. It's not hard to do, so if you have an extra Super Nintendo or Super Famicom controller, you could try it out for a while, and if you just end up wanting to go back, that's fine as well. It also should work with third-party controllers, but... Not all. You're going to have to figure out which ones physically fit. Uh, Same with the SNES Classic controller. So hopefully they'll have a list on their website when people start trying these and confirming to see which third-party controllers would work, because it would be really cool to get some crappy $10 controller off of Amazon or AliExpress or something and swap the guts out with one that uh, now you could use on your GameCube. I think that would be pretty awesome. Plus you get an extra SNES pigtail out of it if you ever need a controller adapter for that. So all of that stuff's pretty cool. Um, The only thing is it is a kit that you have to assemble and solder together yourself. Now, if you're like me and you're lazy and don't have time to do that, hopefully four layer technologies will try to come around and have completed versions that you could just drop in at some point. However, I do love how they've approached this. The kit is really designed for beginners as a first mod project. And Shank did an awesome job in the video, uh, really walking people step-by-step step through how to do this in a way that's not condescending and talking down. It's really, it just it made me feel like, you know, this is a video that makes you feel like you could do it you know and i i love stuff like that i'm really appreciative when people take the time to to you know not in every video but to have beginner focused videos to make it more welcoming for people so i love that i love that you know people who came up in the modding community are now trying to bring more people in and it's the opposite of gatekeeping right I, I love seeing stuff like this so if you were looking for a first mod project and this seems like something you'd be into definitely give it a try if not if you're an expert you could probably whip this thing up in you know not very much time at all so it's not going to Take too long to assemble it. Um, and what, the price is $35, and it's available right now. The only other thing to mention, if you're already deep in the GameCube scene, you probably know all of this, but uh, it's made using a GC Plus 2.0 module, which allows for customization and remapping through the configuration app on the console and through RV Loader. But if you just plug it in and use it, the D-pad, face buttons, and start button are all mapped to the the respective GameCube counterparts, and the select button is mapped to Z, which makes it perfect for Game Boy Player, but also any of the retro classics, like remember that the original Zelda released on GameCube, and any of the virtual Console stuff like that on the Wii. So this really is a great option for people that want to have an SNES-style controller on the GameCube and Wii. So uh, if you're interested, definitely check it out. I think the price is fair. I I love that it's a beginner-focused kit. I just do wish that they would have a drop-in version for people that don't have the time or are too lazy to solder something like this up, and I would happily pay a premium for that. But that's up to them. Um, let's see how well these sell, and maybe that's something they would add in the future. But definitely check out the post and the video if you're interested. Before I go, I just want to talk about two live streams I did in the past week. The first is the Master System stream with Stika. We actually got that out on time, so uh, that's a, a me joke, not a Stika joke. Stika's always easy to work with, but sometimes I just can't make time to get these things done. But we did it, and it was a blast. And we concentrated a lot on accessories. So I really think if you're into the Master System, even if you're not normally somebody that wants to sit through a long live stream... I think you could probably enjoy this just to see the different accessories work, the explanations of them, to see some rare and more expensive stuff like that controller with the little stick built in. Those things are getting more rare and more expensive. So it was so cool to kind of go through and check this stuff out. I showed the different 3D three D glasses options and throw the showed the MK2000, and we ended up playing a bunch of games too, but I think... While this was kind of fun for the gameplay, I really do think the accessory side of this stream is what would interest Master System fans or people curious about the console. Maybe you have no interest in buying an SMS, but you wanted to see FM sound options and ROM carts and a spinner controller. And I don't know, there, there was, this was a lot of fun. So I definitely recommend that. Also over on Steve's channel, Retro Tech, uh, we, t- um, we worked on a couple of different monitors. Now that's on his channel, which is why you don't see it on mine here. Uh, So what we ended up doing was working on three CRTs and we couldn't fix any of them, (laughs) but there was a bunch of really fun info in there. Um, The first one was a 14L5 that uh, it had to warm up for a bit before it showed pictures on the screen. Unfortunately, that might mean the main board needs recapping, but I did try to swap out one of the boards that was already recapped. So that was kind of interesting. There was a consumer TV that Steve had RGB modded a while back that the RGB mod went all blue now, and we couldn't figure out why. That was kind of interesting. So if you're into RGB modding CRTs, you might get a kick out of that. But the nine inch BVM, not the one that I had shipped and shipped out and sold in the last live stream. If you're watching this on video, that's what you're seeing there. My secondary one that sometimes worked, sometimes didn't, sometimes it worked and the screen would pulsate. Steve and I could not figure out why it did that. He obviously is more knowledgeable than I am with this stuff, but we both kind of went through it with a fine tooth comb and we took another look on stream and we cleaned out a bunch of stuff with the oxide. We cleaned out the neck board and the pins on the bottom of the neck. One of the pins ended up breaking off. So I'm 99.9% sure that was always the problem. The pin had been slowly corroding. So whenever you wiggled the neck board enough, it kind of scuffed up the corrosion and you got a decent signal. But then when the corrosion kind of seeps out, you get the pulsating or that not working at all. So that was another interesting one, because that obviously that really sucked. That tube had 3,500 hours on it. But now I have to look into repairing it. Luckily, Jason from Delusionals Arcade would, uh, would offer to take a look at it with me probably next week. But that was kind of interesting to see. There was a lot of close-up shots and everything like that. So I just wanted to mention it. If you're into the SMS, definitely check out that stream. And if you're into modding CRTs and repairing them... I mean, you should be subscribed to Steve anyway, of course, and, you know, maybe subscribed on Patreon too. But I think that was another fun one that you might want to be into because while it's not for the casual user, if you're into modding or repairing these things, I think even though they were all fails, there was a lot learned in those. So um, yeah, that's basically it. Well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way. The monthly services are what keep all of this going, but just clicking on affiliate links or even going to the support page on the website and clicking on like the Amazon general link and then going to buy anything else that you are going to buy at the same exact price, that's also a giant help in keeping all of this stuff going. So I just wanted to thank everybody again so much. I really appreciate you all.